0: In 1997 the contest was held in Ireland, like nearly always in the 90s, and the Irish Superstars Boyzone were invited. Five countries tested televoting for the first time. Russia sent a prima donna with a limousine complex. Two countries supplied us with their own versions of the Spice Girls and the Backstreet Boys, respectively. Iceland gave us a free preview of a pay-per-view latex show, The Swedish spokesperson gave five points to a country called Croatia, which I still haven't found on a map. And the winner won a landslide with 60 points up on the runner-up, Ireland. Yes, always Ireland. It was the 90s after all. Today I have invited the lovely winner, Katrina from Katrina and the Waves, to Eurovision Legends. With me, your little Teletubby, Emil Lovström. Welcome to Eurovision Legends, Katrina from Katrina and the Waves.
1: Well hello, my little Teletubby.
0: <laughs> Which one are you? Uh I will go for the for the purple one, I guess.
1: Okay. Does the purple one hold the handbag? It might do. Yes, it's been a long time. I think it's Tinky, Winky, Flopsy and Mopsy. (laughs)
0: Exactly,
1: exactly. I I might have them confused with um, Rudolph (laughs) the Red-Nosed Reindeer. But anyway, well, thank you very much for having me. It's uh, a real pleasure to speak to you today. How are you? I'm very well. I'm in Brighton right now, which, if your listeners don't know, is on the south coast of the United Kingdom, and it's in a county called Sussex and it's very beautiful here it's um an overcast day so the sun is not shining but I quite like it like that because there's nobody on the beach and very romantic and very dramatic and I'm having a nice cup of tea and I'm having a lovely chat with you so life is good
0: Great! I'm very flattered to talk to you. It's actually no coincidence that you are here for this particular episode because this is the fiftieth episode of Eurovision Legends. So I felt that the listeners needed a special treat.
1: Oh well, wow. congratulations, fiftieth, huh? That's great.
0: Now that we are such close friends, I will know your deepest feelings through my quick fire questions. Are you ready? Yes. Favorite song in Eurovision from United Kingdom.
1: Who are uh, just a little bit, Gina G.
0: Worst song in Eurovision from United Kingdom?
1: Um, Yeah, this is very, very quick, isn't it?
0: Eng- Engelbert Humperdinck. Oh, my, my next question were Bonnie Tyler or Engelbert Humperdinck. So I guess Bonnie Tyler then. I love Bonnie Tyler. Me too. When will the United Kingdom win next time in Eurovision? In
1: 2039. Uh, the UK will win the Eurovision Song Contest.
0: Favorite country in Eurovision, except your own. Israel. Favorite winner from the contest besides Katrina and the Waves.
1: Eres tu, mozadares.
0: Wow, not a single right answer. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I was going to say, I'm terrible at this.
0: <laughs> no, Israel is actually my favorite country too in Eurovision.
1: Cool. Well, they always come out with something fresh and original, always with pop and always with a, um, a statement or something more behind it. I just think they're incredibly uh, colorful and vivacious. And I, I always look to see what Israel's going to come up with. It's always something fun and a little, a little out there. Yeah, I
0: totally agree. In 1997, you took part in the national pre-selection hosted in the BBC TV studios in London. Tell me, how come you decided to take part?
1: We were asked by Jonathan King, who was always very interested and involved in the Eurovision Song Contest. And he knew us and he knew the band, Katrina and the Waves. And he just came to us and he said, do you guys have a song for Eurovision? And we said, yes. And out of the bottom drawer, we pulled out a song called Love Shine a Light which we had recorded 3 years before for the Samaritans and the Samaritans are a charity organization that basically help people in need or if you're feeling uh, suicidal or you have a problem then you can call on the Samaritans they do an awful lot of good and we said well this is this is quite a good song it's got a Eurovisiony feel So go ahead, take it. And he said, Okay, I'll take it. And we thought they would find somebody else to perform the song. And then Warner Brothers records, they came back to us and they said, Actually, we want you guys to perform it because we feel like you won't get too nervous. A few people might have heard of you from the dark ages when we had a song called Walking on Sunshine. And I had never seen the show before, as you can tell by my accent, I'm American. Even though I'd lived in the UK since 1976, I had never seen the contest on TV. So we just said, "Yeah, they'll sure, sure we'll do it." But we didn't think we would win. We didn't think because everybody said the UK can't win. So we did it because we thought, well, we need the deal with Warner Brothers, and it could be fun. Well, it ended up it was an awful lot of fun and it was it was a very a huge surprise to win
0: do you remember if this was the only song that you considered for Eurovision
1: that's a good question yes it was the only one because we we always knew that we had this song called love shine the light we never put it on an album because we were a bit sort of more we thought we were kind of you know rock And we thought this song was very Eurovision-y. So it was kind of weird when Jonathan King came to us and said, do you have a song? Because we thought, oh my God, yeah, we we do. We, We have the perfect song. It's called Love Shine the Light. That was really the only one that we offered.
0: As we all know, you won the national final in the United Kingdom. But do you remember who came second?
1: Um, That was Yodel in the Canyon of Love. Yeah. And um, now what was her name? She was a great, great singer. Um, Carrie. Carrie. Yes, of course. And she had a really catchy song it was a little bit like don't go breaking my heart it was yodeling the canyon of love or something like that and we thought oh my god this is is a really kind of quirky novelty eurovision song so we actually thought that one would go through <laughs>
0: Nothing screams pop music in 97 like yodeling.
1: Well, especially in The Canyon of Love, my dear. Yes, whatever <laughs> that whatever that may mean.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were the favorite to win Eurovision early on, and the Swedish press wrote a lot about four entries. It was United Kingdom, Italy, Croatia, and Iceland, and I don't think they wrote a single nice word about Iceland, sadly. <laughs> Do you remember who you thought was your biggest competitor?
1: You know, what people didn't realize was that the Iceland song was kind of the future of Eurovision. Exactly. Because all of the other songs were very safe. They were safe little pop songs. We thought that Ireland was very strong. Mysterious
2: woman I wanted to see.
1: thought that Ireland would definitely be our competition because the Irish are just so damn good at winning the competition. We also, I really liked the Dutch, the Dutch version. It was um, Mrs. Einstein and they had a really kind of fun song. was more that we really liked the girls and they always had vodka so that's why we liked them you know they would always we'd look over like when we we're rehearsing or backstage or even when we were in the green room on the night we'd look over and we'd wave at them and the girls would look over and they'd go they'd say come on, have we have vodka we have vodka so we would we would go over and have some vodka with them it was just such a nice atmosphere backstage. But back to Iceland, you know, people were kind of laughing, but that was really the future. That was the future of Eurovision right there. People thought, oh, my God, this is so scandalous. And oh, my God, look at him. He's rolling around. And what is he wearing? He's wearing vinyl. Oh, my God. And everybody was acting so shocked about it. But it was um, it was really interesting to be followed by him because it kind of I think it gave people, as we say, pause for thought.
0: Yeah. The Swedish commentator claimed that the Swedish entry was your personal favorite, which would make you quite unique, if that's true.
1: You know, I always like Sweden because they, they always come strong. I don't know if you know, but I actually did the, the Melody Festival
0: yes i know and we're going to talk about that
1: (laughs) oh well then we'll talk about that later because i've got a lot to say about that but sweden always comes strong because they have fantastic melodies and you had the three boys that year what what were they
0: called blonde
1: just blonde weren't they yeah Yeah. and and they were strong and we knew that sweden always come strong and that people like to vote for Sweden so we were a bit worried about those guys as well they were very cute and they had a good soul
0: weren't the only superstar in Dublin this week. From Russia came the mother of all prima donnas, the one and only Alla Pugacheva.
1: Alla Pugacheva was, it was like having your royal majesty backstage. She was very much like Queen Elizabeth backstage, because she had tremendous charisma. And she would wave to people like the queen would. She sat She didn't move very much. And when she did her song, she commanded respect. And when I was, when I first met her, I almost curtsied. This is how much she was like royalty. And because she was, she was very famous and everybody kept coming up to me and they kept saying, "Ala Pugacheva, you know that she's very famous. She's very famous in Russia. So by the time I did meet her, I was almost overwhelmed and I was <laughs> I was almost speechless in in awe looking up to her. I didn't have a total bloody clue what she was famous for, but I knew that I had to bow down and respect her. And when she sang Prima Donna. I mean, it was like, oh, hello. This is a moment, and I remember thinking, oh, holy shit, she's gonna win. I think um, people wanted something different that year. Thank yeah. God. Thank <laughs> God. <laughs> So, Ola, a- get on your throne and go back to Russia, honey. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in a previous episode, Paul Oscar from Iceland was guest in uh, Eurovision Legends, and he told us that you was on very many trips in Dublin, and Ala Pukachova was the only one that d- you couldn't get up on a fucking bus.
1: No, 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 she didn't do buses, honey. <laughs> she, no, she ain't going to get on a bus. I don't think she came out of her suite, you know. <laughs> And, and when she came through, you know, I think she took all of her meals in her room. She stayed in her room. She really kind of wasn't part of the gang. This is what I mean. You know, I think when we were in the green room, there was a velvet rope around her section. Like she was in a VIP section. And it was like, don't cross the line, honey.
0: Do you remember anything special from Dublin that you can share with us?
1: Well, you know, the atmosphere was incredibly cordial and fun. There was an awful lot of drinking backstage. And the the parties that we had, you know, there were only 24 artists. So the whole week we were in Dublin, which is an, an incredibly wonderful party town. We just every night was a party and it was a, a wonderful celebration. We didn't really feel as if there was a huge amount of competition we were just all i don't know if i can say this on your podcast but we were shitting bricks i mean everybody is just really nervous yeah and we just kind of looked at each other like oh my god this is crazy but you know what we're doing this and we're going to have a good time and a lot of vodka will be drunk and that's just kind of my overall feeling about it i mean the other thing that i remember is there was an awful lot of security everywhere And there was always this woman kind of hanging around, standing around. She had a bit of a severe haircut and a bit of a a big kind of manly jacket on. And, you know, at one point, like halfway through the week, I just turned and I said, I'm really sorry, but um, who are you? And she said, well, you know, I'm your security. And then she she pulled back her jacket and she showed me. She had this huge gun. Yeah, she had this huge firearm. And so everywhere we went, I think, you know, they were a little bit concerned about some activity from the IRA or some kind of, there was an awful lot of security. And everywhere we went, like if we were in the car, there was a huge motorcade of police. I mean, I'm sure it was completely unnecessary. They needed to be around Al- Pergacheva, not me. Uh, but, I mean, that was just my memory of it. And, and and Dublin was also, they were such hospitable hosts. They really were. They took such good care of us, and we had such a lovely week in dublin it was really sad when it was over and we had to all go home because we did feel like we'd gone through something pretty amazing and we were all friends in the end and you know i see some of those people still and you know it's like hey how are you doing oh my god it's so good to see you i did a tv show i think two years ago and mrs einstein was there oh and and there they were with the vodka (laughs) you know we you know we just partied again with the girls so it was a very special atmosphere
0: do you remember who designed your outfit
1: oh my god so we had three stylists and they came with three different outfits for me and one was one was a union flag dress (laughs) the next looked like a bloody clown suit (laughs) and the next one looked like I, i mean i put it on and i sat down on the couch And the drummer came and he nearly sat on my lap because my outfit looked exactly like the couch covering. (laughs) You know, it was just hideous. So another. (laughs) (laughs) And then finally, I had been wearing this really ugly green shirt for a lot of the rehearsals and this kind of crushed velvet coat that I would bought at Karen Millen. It only had one shoulder pad. So it was, because I got it cheap, it was only 40 quid. And the shirt, this green shirt, I had bought at the Cambridge market for three pounds. And it was really itchy and horrible and smelly <laughs> after a few days of wearing Because I thought, oh, I'll wear this green shirt for a lot of the press, because we're in Ireland, and maybe it'll, maybe it'll bring me some luck. I had some nice Joseph trousers and I had some nice boots from, oh, I don't remember where, but I loved those boots. I completely wore them out. Somebody, Steve Allen from Warner Records, he came to me and he said, what's going on? And I said, I can't wear any of these outfits. They're just horrible and they're not me. And he said, what about that green shirt and that coat that you've been wearing all week? He said, just wear that. I said, are you kidding me? I mean, there wasn't even time to dry clean the green shirt. It stank to high heaven. It smelled like cooked onions. (laughs) And when I was singing, I had to remember to keep one shoulder higher than the other because I didn't have a shoulder pad. So not only have I got to sing at the Eurovision Song Contest in front of a 24-piece orchestra, you know, a live audience singing live with live backup to a click track, you know, the most nerve-wracking trouser cacking, two minutes and 58 <laughs> seconds of my life. And I've got to remember to keep my, one of my shoulders up higher than the other. So that was the Eurovision outfit. And then after the show, somebody put a note under my hotel door, and it said, could we have the green shirt for the Belgian Eurovision Song Contest Museum in Antwerp? And I said, yeah, sure. And I actually just kind of shoved the shirt on the other side of the the door. And I heard this rustling around and somebody took it. Then I found out later there's no such thing as a Belgian Eurovision Song Contest (laughs) museum. And then two years ago on eBay, I saw that the shirt was on eBay for something like $350 being sold out of California. So go figure. That (laughs) shirt has been around the world and won the Eurovision Song Contest and probably still stinks. That's the story of the outfit. (laughs)
0: <laughs> you you won with the biggest amount of points to that date. And we could see you celebrating early on in the green room with lots of champagne. And I'm a big consumer of wine myself. Not a serious problem yet. But on a scale from zero to Patsy Stone, how tipsy were you when you sang again?
1: Um, straight in to, let's say, Janis Joplin. Forget about the light stuff, because bear in mind, I'd already seen Mrs. Einstein and we had some vodka and somebody else had some Jack Daniels or something like that. And then, you know, there was a champagne company that we're hosting. And so they wanted to get their champagne brand into all of the shots. And so we're pouring and pouring, 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 celebrating, celebrating. But all the time, my backup singer, Miriam Stockley, kept saying, don't get too excited we can't win because there's of the political voting the uk won't win so i thought oh well sod this let's get drunk <laughs> and so the champagne was pouring and pouring and then it looked like we were going to win and then miriam looks over to me and she says we're going to win we're going to win put the champagne down we got to do the song again and i said what <laughs> She said, we've got to perform the song again. The winner performs the song again. Remember, I had never seen the show, so I didn't know that. So we, then we won, and there's a little clip of me walking along with Ronan Keating. And I'm going, go to bed, Mom and Daddy, because my dad had recently had a stroke. And so I, was, I worried, and I thought, oh my God, if we win the Eurovision Song Contest, he's bound to have another stroke. So as we're walking to the stage, I'm saying to the camera, go to bed, mom and daddy, who are watching the show in in, back home. And then we got out there and the audience were clapping so loud, I couldn't hear where the beat was to the song. So I start singing out of time. Miriam starts hitting the tambourine really loudly and close to my ear. And then I flubbed up the lyrics. I sang the second verse for the first verse. But you know what? Guess what? It didn't matter. It didn't bloody matter. And then the party really started.
0: The year after the contest was held in Birmingham, and Terry Wogan, together with Sweden's own Ulrika Johnson hosted the event, and you were in the audience in a red sparkling dress. Do you have any gossip from that year?
1: Well, I had no business being in that beautiful Isabella Christiansen Dress, And they had put these fake nails on me and it was the most ridiculous outfit for me. I think they were trying to turn me into some kind of diva, which I was not. I was not comfortable in that outfit at all. And then, of course, when we went out there and Donna International was announced as the winner. Well, Terry Wogan and I were standing up there, standing up there and we're like, what the hell? is going on and people just kept saying oh she's having trouble with the feathers and we were like what she's having trouble with the feathers her feathers or something like that i couldn't understand what they were saying she was having a complete wardrobe malfunction i don't know (laughs) if anybody who has ever been announced as the winner took so much time to take the stage it was incredible how we were just left standing there and I thought, it's so typical that here I am in this stupid feeling like an idiot standing up here in a bloody red ball gown waiting for Donna International to make her entrance. And then she did and nearly took Terry Wogan's wig off with <laughs> the feathers when she started waving her arms around. <laughs> it was a joke. It was, it was a joke, but it was, uh, it was, a, it was a great night thought from that night okay this win is really gonna change Eurovision and it did didn't it do you think it
0: did yes absolutely Were you never asked to perform your winning song in 98
1: no I wasn't I I didn't think about that did they do that back then I know they do that now they often have the winner from the year before come and do maybe another type of version of the song. But no, it, I, it didn't occur to me that that I would be asked. I think it was enough just to kind of be up there in that gown. For me, that was already a big ask.
0: Eurovision was cancelled this year, as we all know, but instead the program Eurovision Shine a Light aired. Were you flattered when they named it after your song?
1: Well, I couldn't believe it because the whole... 2020 eurovision seemed to it was a better year for love shine a light than 1997 because you had the rotterdam philharmonic playing the song and then you had all of the contestants taking a line and until i saw it on tv i had no idea that they were going to do that i really didn't when they said can you do the last line of the song i said well <clears throat> yeah, sure. Okay. So I held the poodle and I sang the last line of the song. I mean, I didn't even particularly sing it in time, because I wasn't really singing to a track. It's very lucky that that it was in the right key. <laughs> but it, I was so surprised when I was watching, watching and I just thought, this is incredibly emotional. And they did such a good job with it. And I thought, actually, this is really appropriate for this year. As it's been such a weird year for humanity. And this is kind of the right song. It's almost like Love, Shine a Light had to wait all those years to, to be just in the perfect setting. Because I think when we won in 97, it, I think it was sort of a low-key win. And for a lot of years, I think people in the UK still thought that the last winner was Buck's Fizz with Making Your Mind Up. Because I think Love, Shine a Light was quite a
0: low-key win. I think it was a great name, much better than Eurovision Ding a Dong or Eurovision. Don't play that song again.
1: Yes, that's probably true. Yeah, it, it it was sort of kind of very appropriate. Love Shine a Light. It just and and all of the lyrics were were perfect for it. Yeah, to be called Ding a Dong wouldn't have been so emotional, would it?
0: No. Uh, In a previous episode of this podcast, I talked to the lovely Nikki French and she told me that you and her wrote a song in 2001 or 2002 that you sent to the national final, but it wasn't chosen.
1: Oh my God, we did write a song. Let me see. What was that called?
0: Make Us One.
1: Make Us One. Yes. So Nikki and I kind of had an agreement that she would put forward a song. And I would do a little bit of writing on it and I would put forward a song and she would do a little bit of writing on it. Cause we thought it would be fun if there was a song written by two previous Eurovisions. And and actually the song was very both of the songs I think were very good, but it was just it wasn't what they were looking for at the time. But it was still fun. In this house- It's always fun to work with Nikki because there's always an awful lot of uh, prosecco or champagne involved.
0: I-, I can believe. Oh yeah, my dear. In 2005, you took part in the Swedish pre-selection Melody Festival with the song "As If Tomorrow Will Never Come," written by Thomas Kjellson, the man that seven years later won the whole competition with "Euphoria," sung by Loreen. Tell me about this project.
1: We were approached by the, the Melody Festival to see if I wanted to take part as sort of like a wild card. And I was given four or five songs. And the one by Thomas Jason, I just thought, well, this is the one. This is cool. It kind of reminded me of like a share song. It was quite rock and roll. And I was going to be doing it as sort of like a, a duet with a band called the Playboys, And I had worked with them a lot and they were a good rock band. And we really thought that we would do really well with it. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll tell you what, the competition was so, I think the Melody Festival, there was more competition there and more pressure and more anxiety than when i did the contest in 97 because it's very 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 competitive in the melody festival and the writers are all incredibly good and incredibly talented and uh, Bo- bosa who was the singer who i was doing the duet with When we did our performance, there were some fireworks and his hair caught on fire. And so it kind of went downhill from there. And and we just sort of, we just petered out. We didn't quite make it. And I just thought, whew, wow, that was, that was hectic. But I mean, you know, it was still, it was fun, but it was, uh, you know, you really see how very, very seriously people take the Melody Festival.
0: The stage name was Katrina and the Nameless. Let me guess, someone didn't want you to use The Waves.
1: Yeah, because we were going to call it Katrina and the, the New Waves or something like that. I think the band said it's too much. The old band, Katrina and the Waves, they said, no, it's too much like Katrina and the Waves. So in the end, nobody could think of anything better. So we called it The Nameless. And at that point, I mean, it's really hard to name a band And in the end, I think it was somebody at Lionheart Records or something like that just said, just go with the nameless. I thought it was lame, but I thought, well, in the end, it didn't matter because we didn't get that far anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So it wouldn't have mattered.
0: Do you remember the other songs they presented for you?
1: Um, yeah, they were ballads. And I just thought, no, I don't want to do a ballad. I want to do something fun and something that rocks. And I, I really thought that that song was good. I thought it had a fantastic chorus. Because, of course, Thomas Jason, he, he is just an incredible songwriter. I mean, Euphoria, come on. What a song, Jesus.
0: Do you know if it was specially written for you? I ask because I know many thought it sounded very much like a meatloaf song.
1: Oh my God! It did sound like a meatloaf song. I think I was pretending that I was Cher and Bosa was <laughs> meatloaf in my wildest fantasies. Not even close. I don't think. Uh, I don't think the song was written for me. No, I think it was just already in existence.
0: Did Thomas Gesson present more songs to you?
1: No, I don't remember that he did. Oh, wait, he had written one other song that was in the pa- the pile of four or five, but it was more, it wasn't me. I really wanted to sing something rock, and so I went for that one.
0: You have done more attempts to participate in Eurovision adverts.
1: Yes, well, I wrote a song called, um, oh, sorry, just a second.
0: I Want to Love Again.
1: Yeah, it's called I Want to Love Again. Sorry, I just had somebody else come in. <laughs> it's like Grand Central <laughs> Station here. <laughs> uh, so I wrote a song called I Want to Love Again, and I actually wrote this song for Samantha Fox. Had just She had lost her partner, and she was going through a bit of a, a low time, and we were doing a show together, and she said, you know... I'm going to record another album. I'm going to make another album. And I said, listen, let me write you a song. Because I thought I would write one. I had this idea about I want to love again. And I went home and I, it probably took me 15 minutes to write that song. It just came very, very quickly. By the time I'd recorded it and mixed it and everything, and I showed it to Sam, she said, Oh, I'm going to make a, a different kind of album. So, And then I thought, okay. I'm going to put that on my own album. And then I thought, hang on a sec, this is a really good song. I'm going to send this in to BMG for, this, for 2020 Eurovision. And so uh, I sent it in, BMG got back, and they said, we love it, we're going to shortlist it. But they went with James and that other song as well. But I was not going to be the one to perform it. I just was submitting it as a song for someone else to sing because I would never do the contest again.
0: you could decide who would have sung it.
1: Uh that's um you know I was hoping that they would just find somebody really young and really talented. You know my vision would be that um somebody with great charisma like do you know uh the singer Kiara from Malta?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Yeah, I thought somebody like her just with a huge voice, a great great voice but with a lot of charisma and a memorable image, which I think Kiara has just because, you know, she's just a, she's a beautiful woman with a fantastic voice. So that would have been my dream, somebody like her. I, think, I actually think the UK went with the right person in the end. I think James did a great job and I think his song was very strong. I think if the competition had taken place, I think he would have done really well.
0: Recently, you released an album called Hearts, Loves and Babies.
1: I'd finished recording my new album for 2020 and I was asked by Spotify to write out all of the lyrics. I thought, oh, bloody hell. So not only do I have to write the whole album and do everything myself, I've got to write out all the lyrics. And so it was kind of an interesting exercise because when I was done, I thought, wow, there are three words that I use a lot on this album. And it's heart, love, and baby, as in, you know, baby, I love you, that kind of baby, not the crying baby type. And I thought, great, that's the title, Hearts, Loves and Babies. And it's kind of as simple as that. So it's nine songs that I've written
0: myself with one cover. The first single on the album was the song Drive.
1: I just love to drive. It's often a competition for who is going to drive between me and my partner. And I just, I love to drive. I'm a terrible passenger and I just get so bored. And I wanted to write a song that was that had a feeling of like Lower East Side, kind of cool Manhattan, Blondie, Deborah Harry. And I just thought, I came up with four really fun chords. And I thought, what would go really well with this is a song about driving. And so I thought the the simplest and most obvious thing was to say, I want to drive, total control, feeling alive. And I just wanted it to be... Just that kind of driving song with loads of hooks and lots of fun, and then have a video that goes with it with the poodle driving the car. And so, you know, perfect job done.
0: Found a favorite song on the album that I have listened to many, many times.
1: Okay, I'm gonna guess. Is it "Move
0: On"? No, it's not. But I like that too. Is it
1: "Holiday"? Oh, wait. Is it "Crazy Mama"?
0: No, it's "Holiday."
1: I uh-huh. see. I nearly said "Holiday." Did yeah, I? Yeah, no. All right. Why do you like that song?
0: Because, in my opinion, it sounds very Eurovision. I think it's a big chorus and it's mighty.
1: You think it sounds Eurovision-y?
0: Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, I'm just remembering that I did think that as well, because it's got that whoa, which is quite catchy, isn't it? And you could, yeah. You could kind of see the whole audience singing
0: that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah well, it's too late now, my friend, because <laughs> I've already put it on a record. <laughs> <laughs> Happy birthday, world, you're looking swell.
0: What would you say is the biggest evolution in your music between Love, Shine a Light and your new album?
1: That I grew up. And when I was writing Hearts, Loves and Babies, I just got very real with myself. And I know it sounds corny to say, but in touch with a lot of emotions, there are songs about my mother, which is Move On, and also Crazy Mama, two aspects of my mother. And very personal songs and... Songs that like Holiday, for example, the one that you like is I love Kirsty McCall. And I wanted to write a song that was sung in sort of a lower register that had a bit of a Celtic feel about it with a fun whoa, whoa bit. And so I was just sort of I was kind of going around and fulfilling all the things that I always wanted to do musically and lyrically, but didn't know how to do it. And finally it all came to me in a flash of inspiration which you know it doesn't always happen sometimes you just have to wait for it but i was i was lucky that the inspiration did hit me and there's another song on there called willing and i'd been reading a lot of john steinbeck books and i, I just wanted to write a song that that was oh like an 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 odyssey you know like a crazy a crazy journey because John Steinbeck always uses eclectic people who are on the fringe and doing crazy, insane things. So I just thought if there's a California fire and the only way to get to the person you love is to swim in the river, then this person's going to swim in the river because that's how much that person wants to get to to their loved one. And so it was just, you know, fun, using fun topics and, and fun ideas that had been bubbling around in my mind for a long time. And, you know, going back to Drive, I really, I love pop music and I love a pop melody and something that's just really fun. And I love the song Maria by Blondie. And so I wanted to write a song like that.
0: Are you friends with your old bandmates from Katrina and the Waves today?
1: Not particularly. I were sort of on Christmas cards I um, always send Kimberly Rue, the songwriter and guitar player, a a Christmas card and a birthday card. And every once in a while I hear from the bass player. I don't often hear from the drummer, but we kind of left it like that. I mean, that was a long time ago that I split up from them. It's been more than more than 20 years now. And in fact, I've been with my new band longer than I was ever in the waves. So when we split up, it was definitely time to move on and do different different things we were we were definitely at the end of the chapter of Katrina and the waves but it ended on a high it was great to to have a hit with love shine a light and win the eurovision song contest and so it was really the perfect time to stop Katrina and the waves
0: i always ask my guests who they think i shall invite to my show so who do you suggest for episode 51?
1: Does it have to be a Eurovision person?
0: Uh, with a Eurovision connection.
1: Well, then you got to get Anna P- 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 Pogachova.
0: Yes, but can she speak English?
1: No, but you can use an interpreter and it'd be really funny. <laughs> 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 Yeah, just make sure you've got a lot of vodka on hand. You're going to need it. Now, she might have very short answers. Did you enjoy your experience in 1997 when you performed at the Eurovision Song Contest in Dublin? Da. <laughs> da.
0: Thank you so much, Katrina, for this funny conversation.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Okay, I'm going to hit the beach now.
0: What about the same time tomorrow? We can drink wine and talk about our dogs. Sounds good. I'll meet you on the beach. You bring the bottle. Great. And thanks to you, all listeners out there in the world. I hope you enjoyed this chat with me and my new bestie. And if you did, subscribe, like and write a review and tell everyone you know about Eurovision Legends. I hope we meet again soon. You find Eurovision Legends on Facebook and Instagram and all information on my website, eurovisionlegends.se. Hugs and kisses, Katrina. Loads of
1: love to you, my dear. Thank you so much. You take care. Bye.